Welcome to Recovery Mic Drop, where we're dropping the mic on addiction and recovery. We are two women who have been through the highs and lows of addiction and have came out on the other side with a wealth of experience, strength, and hope. We are here to share our stories along with those of other amazing people in recovery and offer a fresh perspective on what it means to live a sober life. So grab a seat, turn up the volume, and get ready for some raw, unfiltered, and inspiring conversation. Trigger warning, we will be discussing uncomfortable topics and using strong language without hesitation. Hello, I'm Heather. I'm Bridget. So Bridget, what was your biggest trigger in early recovery? Honestly, I was my biggest trigger. In early recovery, I didn't know who I was without the drugs. You know, the longer you use and allow that demon in, you get farther away from yourself. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I felt empty inside and discomfort. And the only way I felt like I could get that comfort back was to get high, to escape, because that felt like home to me. So I was triggered 24-7 in early recovery. I mean, people, places, things, every emotion and feeling that I had triggered me. It was a disaster in the beginning. What about you? It's kind of exactly the same. Um, Everything triggered me in early recovery. I would have cravings so intense and so bad, like my heart would race, and I would be able to actually literally taste the substance in my mouth. And that is just insane. It would make me want to go crazy. It'd make me want to use, obviously. Dreams, smells, music is a big one. Anything, a spoon, anything that I associated with using in in my, in those first few months, it was just torture. And like you said, every emotion, all of it, with whether I was happy, sad, guilty, ashamed, all of it made me feel triggered. I remember in, I probably had just a little over a year. I had gotten out of long-term treatment and I was uh, living on my own. And a friend of mine that I had met in the rooms, he relapsed. And I met him at a 12-step meeting. And afterwards, we were walking to the bus and he was so high. And I knew he had stuff in his pocket. And I mean, I was obsessing over it to the point where like, I had to leave. I'm like, I gotta go. And I jumped on the bus and left because I kept thinking I could get high right now if I wanted to. Like I had all the, the anxiety, you know, the, just all of those emotions. My heart was racing. I was sweating. My palms were itching and I just had to, I had to go. I know in those moments, I feel kind of jealous and it like ticks me off and makes mm-hmm. me resentful in those moments. Yeah. Absolutely. What is the definition of trigger when it comes to addiction? Trigger refers to any person, place, thing, or situation that evokes a strong craving or desire to engage in addictive behaviors or substance use. Triggers can be internal or external. Internal triggers are related to one's thoughts, emotions, and physical sensations. Some examples of internal triggers include stress, anxiety, sadness, boredom, certain memories associated with past substance use. External triggers, on the other hand, are environmental cues that remind a person of their addictive behaviors or substance use. These include being in places where you used to drink or use drugs, being around people who engage in those behaviors, or encountering specific objects or situations associated with substance use. Triggers are the hidden landmines of our recovery journey waiting to be discovered and disarmed. They have the power to resurrect old patterns, cravings, and emotions we thought were long gone. Recognizing and understanding triggers is key to reclaiming our power and breaking free from their grip. Yeah, and I think we also got to remember that everyone's different, so their triggers are different. And the goal isn't to avoid them, it's to be able to cope so they don't trigger you in a way that's going to cause you to act. I think in early recovery, the only thing that kept me from acting out on those instincts was just 
the fear of the consequences. You know, that was it because I didn't really have anything to hold on to. But so, yeah, internal triggers, they're negative or intrusive thoughts or painful memories. I mean, in early recovery, it's everything. All that stuff is fresh, that pain, that shame, that regret. And you're super sensitive in early recovery. So like if you looked at me funny, I think you're talking about triggered. Yeah, (laughs) triggered. I need to go get hot. (laughs) It's, It's that it's that touchy stress or fear, grief, jealousy, all of it, boredom, excitement, happy, sad. It doesn't matter. And external triggers, people, places, things, situations with people, you know, just being a lot of people and I feel anxious, you know, that's a trigger. I know being in a car for me was a trigger in the beginning. It was mm. the weirdest thing. I couldn't sit in the back seat. You know, that's a real thing. I know some external triggers in early recovery that I dealt with. Specifically this time, you mentioned smells mm-hmm. and it's, or, you know, being able to taste and smell the drugs because you were craving and mm-hmm. obsessing about it. And I remember smelling bath salts in the kitchen in the long-term treatment facility I was in. I'm sure it was like a burnt pot or something. I'm yeah. not saying there's anything yeah. in there. But I literally could not get out of the kitchen. I stood there and just, mm-hmm. like, I couldn't stop smelling it. And then I was obsessing. It's powerful. And it comes out of nowhere. And then sometimes, even if the word meth is mentioned, my stomach starts to tighten and I feel like I have to use the bathroom. And it's like, how could that do that to me, those thoughts? It is insane. I know it was the same for me, certain smells, vinegar. <laughs> you know what I mean? It would just depend wherever I was. and what I mean, it could be anything. Yeah. Even just, I would have, because you have like these, mental recall feel like you're in that time and place in that memory it could just be smoking a certain type of cigarette and I would just go back there and it was scary in in the beginning I didn't know I didn't know if I was ever going to get through it I think what's beautiful today now that you mention it is it was really hard for me to get sober because I would think of all the good times that I had but since being in recovery and having to remind myself of the consequences that I face of what happened to me in my life using that's what I focused on so much that a lot of those good memories are not there anymore if I get triggered you know I just went home a few weeks ago and a memory came upon me when I was somewhere where something bad happened and I'm and I'm so grateful for those because it triggers me in a way to where I'm so grateful I'm not there yeah you know it makes me feel some type of way it's just amazing to see how far I've came instead of looking at the glamorized parts of using and I think in early recovery you're kind of you're missing because I don't know about you but like my drug was my best friend it was my whole life. I got up for it. I went to bed for it. Everything I did was for that drug. You're missing a huge chunk of your life. Even though it was destroying you, it was still a part of you. So when I'm missing that drug, it's easy for me to remember the good stuff, the good times I had. And let's just say they were far and few between, you Mm -hmm. know, but I could pinpoint those. But I would forget the waking up and wanting to die or the hurting people that I cared about and the getting arrested and just all the bullshit that comes with the lifestyle. I have to remind myself to. It's definitely a grieving process. I had to grieve drugs. Yeah. Because I'm going to be honest, I enjoyed getting high. What I didn't enjoy was the consequences that was happening in my Mm -hmm. life. But I'll, I'll pinpoint that little two seconds when I get high, then forget about the rest that comes after. It's really easy to do that in the beginning. I remember one of my first internal triggers in early recovery was I got my first job and I had to wake up at 4 a.m. And after a couple weeks, I was like, man, this is awful getting up this early. And my only thought was meth. Like I I have to have it. 
That's how I'm going to get through work. I'm just going to use it to get through work. I was just able to see in recovery how triggers manifest themselves in my life today. It's definitely something you have to be aware of. I just finished the long-term treatment. You know, I'm living in my own apartment. And I knew that a friend of mine had relapsed. So, like, I'm reaching out to her. Not, you know what I mean? Not on purpose to use or to relapse. But that was the only reason I was reaching out to her. It wasn't to make sure she was okay. It was just in case. I might want to, then I've got someone I can go to. Oh my gosh. Yes. I feel <laughs> that. There was twice in recovery. Yeah. I answered my old dealer oh, yeah. when they called me and yeah. I'm like, what am I doing? I've had people find me on Facebook and got some ice cream. <laughs> I just delete it now, but you know, I still accepted their friend request. <laughs> you can't trust yourself in the beginning. No. Uh-uh. So what is the difference between triggers, cravings, and the mental obsession? The mental obsession describes the recurring thoughts or ideas that do not respond to ration or reason and that drive a person to use drugs or alcohol, again, despite the negative consequences. The insanity. The mental obsession is directly related to the phenomenon of craving. And the phenomenon of craving, which I knew nothing about, like I didn't know anything about the mental obsession, it really helped me understand. So the phenomenon of craving describes the intense and overwhelming desire to use or engage in an addictive behavior. Cravings are one of the most frequent causes of relapse. Craving is not the same as wanting something. It is a phenomenon in the brain that creates a powerful urge that overrides rational thinking. Cravings can diminish over time as you stay abstinent and learn new ways to deal with triggers and emotions. And then, of course, as we've already talked about, triggers are stimuli that cause a person to want to use or drink. Triggers can be challenging to cope with, but they do not necessarily lead to relapse if a person has the tools and support to manage them. I just think it's really important to understand the difference between those because in the beginning, I just had these insane cravings and I didn't know what they were. I mean, someone told me they were cravings, but they did over time start to diminish the longer I was sober. And I just remember when I had a little bit of time, always feeling so sorry so bad for people that you just had a few days or a few weeks because I remember that feeling and it was so hard to get through you feel like there's no end to it and that you're just supposed to live in this all of your recovery yeah because you don't see an end to it and I love what we just said that craving is not the same as wanting something because I want a lot of things but a craving is this intense overwhelming need so recognizing and understanding triggers is an essential part of recovery because you need to know what triggers you in order to learn strategies to cope with the triggers. And it is important to note that triggers may change over time as a person progresses in their recovery. With continued effort and practice, individuals can learn to identify and manage their triggers effectively, reducing the likelihood of relapse and maintaining a healthy, sober lifestyle. So the first thing, of course, is developing awareness. So when you have a strong craving or a trigger, you need to pause and process before you proceed. And I think for me, I was so used to being impulsive and acting in self-will that the first thought that I had, I acted on it. And that, I don't think that's talked about enough. That was hard to stop yourself from acting on your thoughts because I felt like I had to act on this crate. And that was difficult for me, you know, to sit on my hands and hurt. That was excruciating props to all the people that are able to do it because I wouldn't have been able to do it I don't think if I wasn't facing prison time but I was just scared to go to prison so I did I sat on my hands and I hurt and I was like okay why am I feeling this way what is causing this trigger and what do I need to work on to overcome it because it's usually old behaviors picked up some sort of resentment that we carried on to that develops triggers now 
I remember growing up and in addiction, just always being called stupid or crazy. And it wasn't, I didn't have a resentment towards a certain person, but I just remember that triggering me if somebody said, you're stupid, even though they were just joking, like in, in treatment, it triggered me. I believe triggers are the echoes of our past, reminding us of pain and vulnerabilities that led us down the path of addiction. So I look at them as wake-up calls that I need to confront unresolved issues. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's a lot in early recovery. And we don't know how to really do that stuff yet. You know, we're just, for me, I was just trying to sit still for five minutes and not get high. That was it. I didn't think I was going to live a long, happy, meaningful life. I didn't see that for me. Before I got sober, I was resigned to the fact that I would just die a drug addict. That's how I was going to die, and I was trying to get there because life was miserable. In the beginning, you know, we don't really have those coping skills, but that's what recovery is, right? So I know in early recovery, I would have physical reactions. My heart would race. I would get sweaty, I would get knots in my stomach, and it would be from the simplest thing. It could be a word, it could be a smell, like we've been talking about, any, anything that could trigger me. And I would have this physical reaction, so I just had to start paying attention to that. I had to start, if a certain part of, if a certain area or a certain person or a certain thing triggered me, I tried to stay away from it in the beginning, because I, don't, I didn't yet have the tools to cope. So in early recovery, for me to become aware, I had to spend time in self-reflection, keep a journal, talk to a therapist, ask people in my support group because I didn't know what to do or how to cope. So I really had to ask people. I just asked for help, you know, which was hard to do. And I had to pay attention to my physical reactions because I would have physical symptoms. My heart would race. I would sweat. I would feel like I wanted to run. So it was important for me to identify those things that caused that reaction. So once I did, I mean, in early recovery, I would just avoid them because there was really nothing else I could do. I didn't have any coping skills yet. I had to learn to understand my emotions and identify them. To track their changes, too, because I didn't know how to feel in a healthy way. So I was always triggered. And I think it was just really important, especially ask my sponsor, ask people that had gone before me, because I didn't know how to do anything. And I was just walking around a mess, ball of nerves, and just fight or flight, not knowing how to react and not knowing how to cope. Early recovery, asking people for help was big. And honestly, you just have to sit in that pain. Sit on your hands and hurt and play the tape for it. So working against triggers, those are the things you do. You have to become self-aware so you know what you got to work on. And becoming mindful of that and sitting in the pain, playing the tape forward, pausing before you react. You have to build that resilience because it does get better. Triggers I had in early recovery are nowhere like they were right. today. And I think for me in early recovery... I was triggered often and I had cravings so bad, like I said before. So simple things helped, like grounding techniques. Literally maybe just tapping my leg or tapping my foot on the ground. Just bringing myself back because I was having an anxiety attack and I didn't know how to react. But just kind of bringing myself back to myself and becoming aware that I'm okay. You know, I'm right here. And that was important to me. I know some people would use like a rubber band on their wrist and they would flick it. And it really is those little things in the beginning that you can build on. I agree completely. I think something that helped me was obviously surrounding yourself with the right people. That's a big one. Because I think I could have been around the wrong person and completely went opposite direction of where I'm at today. So definitely people, places, and things. But I... I had to find things that I enjoyed to do. Like I remember in treatment, just on smoke breaks, playing hacky sack. 
Yeah. You know, just to keep my mind occupied and develop new patterns and new ways to think other than get, of getting high. Yeah. I mean, I don't recommend this, but one thing that saved me in early recovery was smoking a cigarette. <laughs> just taking a one cigarette break to the next. Just going out there, calming down for a minute. It was it was a grounding technique for me. I don't do it anymore, but that was something that really got me through in early recovery. You said your people. You got to be around positive people. I was about a year sober and I started practicing yoga and I started um, learning these different breathing techniques. One is samavriti pranayama which is basically, it's called like equal breathing. So you breathe in, count to four, hold it, count to four, exhale, count to four, and you repeat the process over and over again. And it, today I use it still, and it can change me as I do it. I swear, it's insane. You always hear breathing techniques, breathing exercises. That was one that I tried that really, it really would ground me, bring me back to earth. I could focus and I could feel some peace. And it's immediate. That's something I recommend. It's always worked for me. And it's about bringing yourself back to the present moment like we've discussed. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of this, of what's going on, is us thinking about tomorrow or thinking about yesterday. Yeah. Halt. You know, we heard that a lot in early recovery. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And these conditions make you more vulnerable to triggers. And it's really true. I mean, today, if I'm hungry, get the hell out of my way. I'm a monster. <laughs> Once I get some food in me, I calm down a little bit. (laughs) Another thing that helps is, and I still do this today, I have to, I have like a mental list, a list of benefits of staying sober and the consequences if I use. If I'm feeling triggered, which still happens, but if I'm feeling triggered, I just got to seriously be like, okay, look at my life today. What would happen if I use? It may not happen today, but it's going to happen because I've proven it over and over again. And that, it keeps me grounded. Mm, I like that you said that. Because I have this little story of me being triggered. I've been triggered a few times in recovery. I worked in recovery and I remember there was a few times where drugs were in my hands. I was thinking of the next person, you know what I mean, to get them away from them. Anyways, I remember just didn't think anything about it until they were in my hand and I was going to dispose them and my heart's racing. And I'm sweating and I'm getting like, like you could just swallow this in two seconds. You know what I mean? It was so scary. Then when I had my son, I ended up having to have a C-section. And I remember getting ready to leave the hospital. She said, okay, on your way home, you could pick up these prescriptions. And then she she was reading the prescription list and Oxycontin was on there. Mm. And I didn't think of anything else. It was like everything became background noise. And all I could think of was Oxycontin, Oxycontin. The mental obsession (laughs) kicked in. Yeah, absolutely. I had a smile on my face, I noticed, when I came back to. I was like, oh my goodness. And I didn't say anything for a second, but then I was like, you know what? Can you make that to where I can't pick it up? She said, well, you don't have to pick it up. I'm like, I can't be allowed to pick it up. I'm in recovery. Yeah. Well, a couple of days later, after I was home, I was struggling. I'm in pain. My world just got flipped upside down. I was like, man, how can I call them back and tell them I need that oxycontin? I lied. I'm not in recovery. <laughs> But I didn't. And something that I realized that I didn't even notice has became a habit because I was telling my mom this and she said, well, how did you work through it? And I sat there and I thought about it and I was looking at my life today. What am I grateful for? What things would I lose if I was to put that in me? Everything that I am grateful for, I would lose. That's what keeps me sober. Every time I'm triggered, playing the tape forward and realizing what I have today. I do the same thing. 
I have to do it on a regular basis because that voice is always in there and it's always loud. You know, some days it's louder. So on those days, I have to I have to really sit and be mindful and think if you relapsed, this was this would be everything you would lose if I even survived. And I can already feel the mental obsession just thinking about putting the first one in me. Yeah. And like I just said, I get triggered today. I don't have cravings anymore because when we mentioned them earlier, it's true. The longer I was sober, they began to subside. So I don't have the physical cravings like I do or like I did. But when I'm driving through old towns or neighborhoods that I used in, I might see somebody homeless carrying a trash bag full of their own shit. And I'll still like pause like, hmm, I could just pull over and probably get robbed. (laughs) But the thing is, is that I don't, obviously. I get nervous and I get the hell out of there because that's still very real. And my heart will race. Sometimes if I'm in a restaurant and I smell alcohol or I see people drinking, and it just depends. It could be just a random day, a random time, because it doesn't happen often, but sometimes it will. And I'll be like, I could have a drink. And then I snap out of it. I'm not willing to risk it But those thoughts come. In early recovery, seeing someone high, like we talked about, it made me jealous. I was, like, angry. Like, why do you get to be high? And I can't. Today, I usually just feel pity. I feel sorry for that person, and I have compassion for them. So that's changed. You mentioned when you're driving through old towns and you see, like, the homeless person, you still pause. Mm -hmm. It made me think of this time. I was in a meeting, and this guy was sharing, and he was struggling. And he was like, just sometimes... When I see a homeless guy down by the river, feeding the birds bread, eating the bread with him because that's all he has. He said, sometimes I feel like that's peace. The next day he overdosed and died. I mean, it's true. There's nothing about the way I used to live that's appealing. But I still, I'm an addict. I'm an alcoholic. So I'll still pause for a second and be like, huh, I always have that option if I want it. (laughs) They don't have to pay bills. Yeah. (laughs) I bet he's not worried about taxes. (laughs) A big trigger for me, too, was weight gain. Because I talked about I gained weight. Obviously, when I got sober, I came in 100 pounds soaking wet. So I gained weight when I got sober. I gained weight when I had my son. I was like, dang, I'm going to have to go on a meth bender for three months. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And that's still something that comes into my head. And I'm like, well, maybe not meth. But I'm pretty sure I could get a doctor to prescribe me some diet pills. And that would be socially acceptable. But who am I kidding? It would lead to meth eventually. So I'm not willing to risk it. At least not today. That's the beautiful thing, too. You're not willing to risk it. I'm pretty sure you were with me when we watched this video of how the 12 steps was just like a call and manipulating you and that you could drink and like because your body changes inside and you can drink 20 oh, years. From yeah, now. yeah. I said on that and I was like, mm, you know what I'm saying? But somebody was like, go try it and tell me how it works out. And it just hit me. And I'm like, I'm not willing to try it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and something you just said, I was in a meeting uh, a while ago and someone had said, you know, they had been sober for like 15 years. They relapsed and they really needed that relapse to get closer to God when they came back. And I'm like, hmm, maybe I need a relapse to get closer to God (laughs) because my brain can twist anything and try to use that as an excuse to get high. Doesn't matter what it is. I had the excuse, this is how crazy I was, that everything happens for a reason, you guys say. And every relapse happens for a reason, you guys say. So I'm just going to go relapse and it's supposed to happen like that. Like I would tell myself these things. Mm -hmm. Staying sick. But 
Drinking is probably one of the bigger triggers I have today, especially when I'm going on vacations and other adults are just drinking, having a good Mm -hmm. time. I'm like, well, Bridget wants to catch a buzz. You know what I'm saying? But I wouldn't just catch a buzz. I would embarrass everybody that was with me. And then I would go looking for dope. Yeah. Yeah. Because it starts that mental obsession Mm -hmm. and that craving all over again. And I've tried it a million times, so I don't know why I would think it would be different this time. So working against triggers today, I I said earlier, yoga, I exercise a lot. It makes me feel good. Uh, It makes me feel better about myself. Prayer, meditation, breathing exercises, like I mentioned, 12-step meetings, my support network. And I think I mentioned earlier that resentment is a huge one, so I will. I I have to write it down, I have to find my part, and I have to let go of it, because if not, I will hold on to it and use it as an excuse. Pause, process, and proceed, like you said earlier. These are all things that I use. I play the tape forward. And like we have said over and over again, I'm just not willing to risk this life that I have today. And I love my life, so I don't need to escape it. And then the big one is my relationship with my higher power. That has grown immensely since I started this journey. And when I was making this list, just today for this episode, I thought everything on my list are ways for me to get closer to God. And I didn't even really realize that. And that's what everything is. When I'm closer to God, I'm content, I'm peaceful, I feel good about myself. I love the world and I love me in the world. But the farther I get from God, all that, I start to forget it. So I have to practice all these things that I've learned because the more spiritually fit I am, the less I feel triggered. You know, I used to think that the 12 steps were for getting sober. But as I've been sober and as I've been working on myself and in my recovery and progressed, I've noticed that the 12 steps are about building a relationship with God. And that's what keeps me sober. And I remember being in meetings and there's this guy that always shared the happiest, most free and at peace people that he knows have one thing in common and they have a good relationship with God. So I strive for that today. And in the beginning, when I started my journey and I started working the steps, I didn't know that's what I was doing. I've said it several times, and I know we say, you know, we don't, we're not affiliated, we don't represent any 12-step program, but the program I'm in, or that I work, when I asked for help, God brought me to that program. And when I asked that program for help, they brought me closer to God. And that really is the magic of it. Yeah, and that is basically, I think in every answer on every episode of how I work against something is maintaining a relationship with God and trying to be the best version of myself and be more in God's will and not Bridget's will. And then I have to speak about things, get them out of my head because I'll twist stuff up. Right. You know, maybe react on something that's the smallest of things like someone call me crazy. And then of course, gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. That in God is it today. It's funny because one of my reservations was shrooms and I wasn't even making an excuse. It was something I told myself I would do if it came across my path. I was like, I won't go seeking it, but if it happens to lay in my lap, I'm going to do it. I was like, it's natural. Yeah. But what's funny and I need these moments so much it just it reminds me that I I am closer to God today somebody had told me that they had shrooms face to face with me and my mind started spinning and this was just not even a year ago but I took what I learned I didn't speak I paused I processed what was being said I evaluated my life everything that I'm grateful for and I wasn't willing to risk it I was like damn Bridget you come so far right because it's something I told myself I would do but God's like no That's not for you. You know, you have me. Let me bless your life. You do not need these external substances. Oh, I like that. 
So I'd just like to say before we go, we know that recovery is not easy and that triggers can be hard to deal with. But we also know that you're strong, brave, and capable of overcoming any challenges that may come your way. You've made a courageous decision to change your life for the better, and we are proud of you for that. Don't let triggers discourage or derail you from your goals. Instead, use them as opportunities to learn more about yourself. Remember that you are not alone in this journey. You have us and a whole recovery community. And we want to remind you of the immense strength and resilience you possess on your journey of recovery. Triggers are challenging, but they do not define you. And by recognizing and working against them, you're taking an active role in reclaiming your power and creating a life of sobriety and fulfillment. And we would love to hear from you, either your stories from the madness or any inspirational thing you would love to share with us. So you can email us at recoverymicdrop at gmail.com and come follow us on Facebook at Recovery Mic Drop. And if you found value in this episode, we kindly ask that you leave a review on our podcast. Your feedback helps us reach and inspire more individuals on their path to recovery. Thank you for being a part of our community and for your courage in facing your triggers head on. Together, we can overcome any obstacles that come our way. Peace out. Thanks for listening. Bye.